Welcome back to the catch up, y'all. We got big, big news day at Food Beast. And of course, my co-host Jeff is on vacation in Hawaii. So there are absolutely no rules on the podcast today. I'm going to say fuck a few times. I apologize in advance. Same. Um, but big food news today. Beyond Meat, the company that makes meat from plants, is becoming a big, bad public company. They just announced that they're planning to take the whole company public. And that may, I think they're the first plant-based meat company to do so. They've severed ties with one of their investors, Tyson Chicken. And it seems like every week we're hearing of a major restaurant brand announcing the use of Beyond Meat at their restaurants. People like Carl's Jr. has a Beyond Famous star. Del Taco has Beyond Ground Meat in their tacos now. TGI Friday's even doing some stuff. And so to talk about this properly, I brought on my resident food beast writer and food science nerd, Costa Spiru. What's what up, up Costa? What up? What's up, man? And we got Chef Skylar Tanksley. He's a vegan restaurateur who's helped build. He's worked on All Flavor No Grease's Quesadilla Empire, and he now makes one of my favorite burgers around. He's on the precipice of opening up an entirely new vegan restaurant called Munchie's Diner here in Orange County. We have food scientists and a man on the front lines of vegan cuisine. I think we can handle this conversation. Welcome to the catch-up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth, Editor-in-Chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously, of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms, It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy. There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. All right. And welcome to the catch-up. Skylar, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. How you doing, Eli? Thank doing? you for having me. It's uh, it's literally a blessing. So I'm, uh, I'm ready to get into this. This is a fun topic. Bro, I need to, I need to know more about your history you, you weren't always vegan no not at all actually i was like the i was honestly following you guys at 200 followers shut up kid you not you used so, to follow dang, 200 yeah 100 percent. so i was with like the, <laughs> the rise of like andy's tried or diet i was with you guys on foobies and my my whole thing was like me and my lady when we were dating from the time shout out to chloe from the first four years we didn't go we didn't go to the same spot once on a date what? Yeah, so we just tried all of all the new food spots, like all the Italian restaurants, and we were like really infatuated. I mean, putting pizzas inside burgers, like whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, and then I I had some health issues first, so I wasn't really into animal welfare at the time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of started later for me, and uh, it it shifted when I just couldn't like when I was eating cheese and I was eating dairies. I my mind was like this dissonance was like, dude, I'm hurting, hurting, but I'm like, dude, it can't be the food. It must be like something I drank earlier, or yeah, you know. And and finally, I started meeting a couple of people in my life that came in. They're like, yo, just try this other pizza out. It's it's vegan, you know. After I ate it, I'm like, yo, this is this shit's super good. Like, what it? Oh, bro, it's vegan. I'm like, shut the, f-, you know. And yeah. so that kind of got me into switching my foodie culture and energy into like the vegan community. I wasn't vegan still at the time, but I was like, yo, there's this whole underlying community that's like growing food or creating food pun intended without 
animals that taste just the same you know and that's kind of what got me into it so how how quick did you get into that into that culture were you were you receptive to being like your friends offered you this vegan option say of a pizza yeah. were you were you like oh vegan did you have like ideas of veganism You're yeah like, nah, yeah bro. yeah you could i mean i mean i hope not but i mean <laughs> you could probably find some things like five six years ago you know something online where i probably said i was just so left you know, my dad's from Southern Texas. My mom's Cambodian. Like I'm far, they're far from vegan, you yeah. know? And so for me to, to even understand what was going on, I just, I wasn't there. And I, I'm, I'm dead honest to that. And I think that's why it's, I'm a cool catalyst now is because anyone can shift, but it just takes time or it just, it just takes you to under, wanting to understand, you know? And yeah. for me, it, it, it just, I, I literally needed food. It wasn't, it wasn't preaching and it wasn't, you know, and it's cool for us to be on here even all my friends are like, yo, you don't really talk too much about activism because my food is my activism, right? Mm-hmm. And But that's what shifted me was the understanding that after I was so close-minded to veganism and plant-based food, f- there was a shift in my health and I started finding foods that helped me feel better. And it was that, it was like vegan food, you know? And so now it woke me up. I'm like, well, shit, this is something that I'm passionate about because if I can be, you know, feeling a lot better and I can still eat well and I can have my pastas and my burgers and, and all of that, then I feel like the next person who's having these troubles who kind of can't ad- identify them can too. And I'll bring them over. And it wasn't more, it's, it, it still wasn't more or less like about the whole vegan thing. It was like, yo, I've I found something that could still make you feel better, you know? And yeah. that kind of dove me into the process. And I got very passionate about making food like that. I'm like, I want to recreate this. I see this extremely, you know, great, uh, dude, steak and eggs is like a crazy one. You know, we, re- we learned how to remake steak and eggs and it's wild. And when you, wow. when you do something like that, literally fried eggs made of just beans and legumes. And you're like, yo, there's a yellow, literally yellow egg inside of it. You put it in a fryer, it pops. It's like, okay, you can kind of hit the same notes. You know? So Munchies is a, is a really popular pop-up around Orange County. People, people drive far and wide to get there. I love the food. The <laughs> the vegan McGriddle you do is cracking, yeah, dude. It's yeah. like a there's quarter inch, a half inch thick vegan pancakes yeah, that yeah. Are like are the bun. There's this great cheese on it. The meat, I don't even know what meat yeah, you use. Yeah. Great sauce on it. It's it's mouth watering. It's filling. Like it's you go to these other vegan restaurants sometimes. It's just like the green mm-hmm. holistic shit that you see sometimes. You're just like damn, I'm not going to be full yeah. after I eat this. Yeah. I had that. I also had the burger too. And I fucking trudged <laughs> back to the office so, yeah, leaving, so full. Leaving the G-sauce on your beard and everything. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone was like, film, like, it was so much fun. But tell me a little bit about the origins of Munchies real quick. Nice. So you started getting trying to eat more vegan food. And yeah. then at one point, do you start cooking it? Yeah, so I've, I've you can follow back on my Instagram. I mean, I, I archive some of them because it's me cooking like chicken and eggs and steak. But I mean, I was in the college. I moved out on my own. I was 17. I started cooking for myself around then. And I started creating crazy milkshakes with cereals. I mean, like I was literally a foodie. That's why I love the culture of food beast. So I'm like, That's I was up. in there. And then um, when I shifted into veganism, all the food I ate down to like my orange chickens and and my patty melts and just everything that I can make was not vegan. I wanted to turn that in there and to get it to vegan. So macaroni and cheeses. One thing I needed to knock out was like, how can I make my cheese? Like, and so I mastered an organic cheese. Um, we started implementing at home. Just me and my girlfriend were literally every day, instead of going out and eating, we're like, yo, let's make fettuccine Alfredo, mastered Alfredo sauce. How do you make cheese vegan? So there's so many ways. I mean, yeah. 
I can't even spill the beans on my end, but know, you know, know. But, but on that end, it, it, tell it, me someone less cool than you. Yeah, yeah no, how no, do they no, make no, their no, no. And you know, honestly, shout out to also Raul from Venganza because his cheese oh, is phenomenal, and, great uh, cheese. And there's there's a there's a process, I guess, now when it comes into vegan chefs, um, they they pride themselves. I mean, they say they they say they're not egotistical, but we pride ourselves on the culinary creations and the remakes of our household names that we used to eat. You know, so sometimes it's like. It's so special to us. That's why it makes us so unique. Um, Munchies or, or Alchemy Organica from Denise or, or Raul from Venganza because you're you're able to create something where people are like, yo, this tastes like the fucking same. So like mm-hmm. a boyfriend who's not vegan at all and a girlfriend who is, which that this is what we're learning to cater to, and that's what Munchies Diner is. is we serve mm-hmm. just as many non-vegans as we do vegans. Yeah. I mean, you're not vegan, right? That's 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 gonna be the future, and I think we're gonna be able to talk about that through the Beyond Meat strategy yep. that they're gonna go to. Because yeah. Beyond Meat, the way that they're succeeding is they're not targeting the vegans that everyone thought they knew. Mm-hmm. It's not people that are a hundred percent vegan. There's there's data that's coming out that people that bought Impossible or Beyond Meat patties ate just as much meat in the in that same three month period so there's a lot of data out there that like to win over meat eaters it's not like to cater to them like come over to the mm-hmm. to the dark side it's just give them what they want and that transitional element is something that you could see at munchies yep. it's like yeah. bro every i want a burrito i want a burger mm-hmm. i want all this stuff i don't want it to and i want it to look and feel mm-hmm. and taste like a burger and yeah. i feel that's it's coming from a real place for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah for real, for real on that because uh, the actual population of vegan people in the U.S. hasn't changed drastically in the past decade, but the amount of vegan products have gone way up. It's still like mm-hmm. 5% of the population right. is vegan, but you're having an increasing number of everyone else move to what people are starting to call flexitarian diets. I'm super mm-hmm. flexitarian. Just to set the stage, like I'm not vegan. I went <laughs> vegan for 30 days. It was fun and enlightening. <laughs> I learned a lot. But I'm not vegan by any means, and I and I'll have my takes on what I think my food world should look like in the future as we talk about Beyond Meat and stuff. Yo, can we hear Costa? Should we turn him up more or what? I just want to hear that beautiful silky voice because I'm about to rip you, dog. Oh, <laughs> you're always about to rip me. Uh, that's all love. And you know, you know, to to add into that real quick, you know, even New York Times backs you on that statement. Hmm. Um, something that I found two days ago when I was reading around is they point out that flexitarian is. It's the it's the neutral balance, right? It's like a diet that is rich in plants and includes fewer animal products and processed foods, but it's not super inclusive to one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for for that, that's something that I'm I'm more open to, and that's why we target that. It's like I'm not. You're never gonna see me like, and 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 that's something respect because it takes a lot of energy, and and, and it's someone, it's people that I back, but you won't really see me personally, like protesting because I I really do feel like. What I'm trying to do is spread my message and my activism through the food. And when people mm. just can come and, and converse and enjoy something, and then the shift happens through literally like, oh, I want to come eat here more. Yeah. I mean, so, so Sky, yes. I got a question for you. This is a question I get literally in the comment section every time I write a piece about vegan meat, vegan cheese, vegan eggs, vegan fish, whatever the hell it is. I get the exact same question. It's why the hell do vegans have to keep making stuff that tastes like meat if they don't want to eat meat? Okay, cool. So I feel like that is a palate and texture thing. I mean, you being able to resonate with things that you grew up with is, I mean, it's only natural, right? I mean, so for you to have a a mac and cheese with just out the guilt, I mean, Mm -hmm. people, you know, and that's where I feel like that's the the, that's the specialty in it. It's it's not about trying to make this mac and cheese where it's like, whoa, this is super green and planty, and 
and it's all made of plants and no it's like yo everything that you can eat there's a like now almost to like a 99% tile texture and flavor is the same I mean the steak thing it you know it takes times but you can literally duplicate it with like the marmite to the garlic and everything down into it and create the flavor Right, and that's what it is. That's what you're seeking for. Those people are whack, Costa. Those yeah. people, I see those people in the comments, <laughs> and it doesn't make sense because it's like you're you're kind of trying to stifle creativity. Veganism yeah. aside, is like, oh, why is he? Why is that watermelon that's been roasted overnight like that tastes like a steak? Like, why are they doing that? That offends me. Why? What are they offending? Like, mm-hmm. if you want steak, go eat steak. They're not telling you not to mm-hmm. eat it. They're just creating a cool version. They're having fun and being creative with steak. That's a it's a shop out in New York that did that watermelon steak. Yeah, Duck Seedery. Duck Seedery. New York. Yeah. I remember that. So, like, those comments are weird to me. Like, at me. Let's talk about it further. But yeah, I think 100%. I can kind of understand where they're coming from. Explain. America is very much a meat and potatoes country. That's what we were built on. Sure. So, to people, for people to say, hey, we have this thing that tastes like the steak that you know that, like, your dad helped teach you to butcher, things like that. And to tell them, we got this alternative that's better for you. We got this alternative that's texturally the same. Mm-hmm. You're going to look at that and be like, but why would I shift over when Yo. it's so easy for me mm-hmm. to just, you know, go get a steak from the supermarket or I'm raising cows. Why would I do that? If I meet an American who actually can trace their history saying like, we all, when I was five, my dad helped me butcher a cow, then I'll listen to them a little bit more. Mm. But like the, the, the sheer reality is, is like, we're not farmers. Right, like the vast majority of us mm-hmm. are not farmers, and a majority of those people making those comments haven't butchered their own cow, mm-hmm. haven't looked the animal in their eye, like while they do that. I'm one of them. Yeah. I just like I'm one of those people. Yeah. I I know the second I have to kill a bunny myself just to have a rabbit meat, like I'm gonna feel some type of way. Yeah. I might eat less rabbit. Yeah. yeah. And being in the food industry, I see both sides of it a lot. Just from the food science background, I have the people I've networked with. There are the people who, you know, they dedicate their whole lives to butchery. They dedicate their whole lives to meat processing and things like that. So to them, meat is what they're truly passionate about. Mm -hmm. And they can't see something like vegan meat coming and being the substitute for them. But at the same time, there are really creative people in the food industry who are now making these substitutes and saying, yes, there is this way. Here's what we're doing. Take a look. Try what we're doing. These are the kinds of companies that are popping up all over the nation now, whether it's like a small guy or a big guy like Impossible Foods or now Beyond Meat. So let's get into it. Let's get into it, Costa. You you cover the plant-based industry at nauseum on Food Beast. It's it's kind of your beat at this point. Can you give us a quick history, if possible, on Beyond Meat as a company? Yeah. So the founder of Beyond Meat is this guy named Ethan Brown. He was mm-hmm. a vegan. Okay. He started a company back in 2009. They started out in the frozen food space. So right now they're really famous for their refrigerated burger substitute and such. They started out making frozen fake chicken. Okay. Honestly, like I tried it back in the day and using I, what? Like tofu or what's in the frozen fake chicken? Back then, I believe it was like a texturized vegetable, a texturized soy, okay. something like that. Very similar to like what you would see from Gardein, Morningstar Farms, some of those other like, you know, vegan CPG brands that have been around for a long time. Okay. So, they had this be this vegan chicken. They came out with a vegan frozen ground beef. So this was kind of like the very early, early iterations of what would become the Beyond Burger. So this, this wasn't was, called Beyond Meat. This company is different, but it's the same founder. It was called Beyond Meat. Okay. It was called like Beyond Chicken. It was called Beyond gotcha. Beef. But it was in the freezer section. 
there was a frozen ground or frozen like cut up pieces of meat like you can still find in grocery gotcha that was 2013 2014 that same year they came out with their first version of an actual plant-based burger patty called the beast two years later that turned into what we know as the Beyond Burger today, that first version. They teamed up with people like Veggie Grill and stuff like that, following what Impossible Foods did, but at a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. So Impossible Foods started out with like tiny chef restaurants and things like that. I'm pretty sure that the like first big customer for Beyond Meat was Veggie Grill. Right. And is that... So that's, that's a good history. Um, Veggie Grill probably seems like not the place to... They're probably the first one to make a purchase order from someone like Beyond Meat, but it doesn't seem like the ideal destination mm-hmm. for a company like Beyond Agreed. Meat, right? Like they, it seems like they their goal would be to like hit when when Impossible Meat showed up at Fat Burger, that shit was game changing for yeah. me. Yeah. I went with my boy Victor, who on average will eat a four patty burger wherever we go, <laughs> and so we went. And I was like, yo, the new there's a there's a uh, what you would call it? A fat burger right next to Knott's Berry Farm. We're going to go. I think they're serving this thing called the Impossible Burger. I go. We both go. He orders a four patty regular burger. Yep. I order my Impossible. Fantastic. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was a nine. It was a nine out of ten. Yeah. And if a fat burger is a ten out of ten, that shit was a nine out of ten. I'm That one point difference is not enough for me to now order the regular patty. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go impossible on it. And it sounds fucking cooler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, impossible, you're eating beyond. You're eating impossible. Yeah, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. The first time I had one was actually the Impossible Burger from Crossroads Kitchen. This mm-hmm. was about three years ago. Mm-hmm. The chef there, Tal Ronin, was trying to make it kind of like his tribute to In and Out. So okay. you kind of already had like that fast food taste, that fast food appeal. And to me, it tasted exactly like a double-double. Still like one of the greatest iterations of a plant-based burger I've tasted to date Mm -hmm. was just that. And since then, it's gone from like someone who is a chef at an all-vegan restaurant like Crossroads. David Chain had it at Momofuku. Now you're getting it at, you know, Burger King. Yeah. So what... Talk to me about the growth of Beyond Meat. And we can talk about Impossible at the same time. Beyond Meat's the one that's going public, but Impossible had just as big a splash early on as the Beyond Meat did, in my opinion. They both took somewhat different paths, but they're both going mainstream at this point. The idea that Impossible is soon to be at Burger King's nationwide will make them the biggest footprint retail-wise, but Beyond Meat going public is crazy. So what? why did take so long did it take so long for this proliferation what's going on this was pretty fast for both companies kind of you know over four or five years Mm -hmm. they went from being just like a name that you heard the new york times or the wall street journal talk about and being like oh this is the future Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're all over the nation in terms of a retail footprint beyond meats is actually bigger when you think about grocery store there have been about like 10 11 grocery stores Impossible Foods is in about five, 6,000 restaurants, but they're about to double that number and they're about to get into groceries. So Impossible is about to overtake that number big time. But you're right in that Impossible started out at small scale restaurants. It was more boutique. It looked like yeah. Impossible was like, yo, if people are going to try this burger for the first time, we got to do it at 
Umami Burger. Hop Dottie. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hop Dottie. <laughs> we're going to get Jaden Smith to co-sign. Yeah. Like, we're going to get the cool, cool to co-sign it. And it's going to be chef-driven out the gate. I think Beyond was in uh, grocery stores to let the average consumer like you and I try it first. More of a chance to fuck it up if you're real, <laughs> exactly. right? Like, if you're not a cook, I'm not a cook. The first time I had Beyond at home, I was like, damn, this is not like as tight as it was at the restaurant. You were didn't taught to squish like squish the patty down. Nah, like, you know what I mean. You're yeah. just cooking it super thick. So exactly, <laughs> yeah. The, the pressing of this patty is key. If you guys go get it beyond me, it was super cool. As you go into an Albertsons, Beyond Meat patty is served in a package that looks like ground beef patties in the meat aisle. Mm. That's what's so cool about it. It's like that's the whole entire marketing strategy exactly. for both Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods. Impossible Foods wanted to start out and say, hey, restaurants, order the veggie burger that stacks up to all of your other burgers and is just as good and could even overtake it. Yeah. Beyond Meat wanted to be the same thing in the grocery space. They did start out in restaurants, but their move to grocery was much faster than Impossible Foods. Mm -hmm. Like They took over grocery a year ago, and Impossible Foods still has yet to get into it yet. What's the what's the footprint like environmentally that people need to consider when it comes to going vegan and when it comes to what Beyond Meat and Impossible and brands like that are doing? It's a question of compared to beef, compared to plants, there's a lot of different things. So compare let's compare it to beef right now. Compared to beef, Impossible Foods has stats just ready to go. Mm-hmm. Most of their Land usage, water usage, greenhouse gas emissions, things like that, cut by massive amounts compared to beef. We're talking like 90%. Because you hear a lot of like saving the environment by going vegan, saving the environment by eating beyond and impossible. Like it's a value prop that they that they offer. But I, th- I just don't have the numbers in front of me well, and don't really understand what's really going on. I mean, even just cooking a... Literally, just cooking a, a beef patty alone, comp- or if you just cook an impossible patty alone to a beef patty, you're cutting the, the particulates cooked in the air by 50%. So, I mean, like, you're in you're, the cooking process, in just alone. the cooking process alone. So, think about that. I mean, like, throwing the, the, the beef patty on there and the carbon, everything that's being cooked off, and just from that, from the plants and the grains and the soy and the potatoes from the impossibles, 50% less. Just Damn. alone. So, imagine from I mean, growing the 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 graze to to feed the cow to get the cow big enough to drive it down in a car in a big truck two hundred miles to get it killed and process it to get it to this foreplant as opposed to growing the grains processing on the same land, pushing it over and sending it to the space and selling it to be made. You know, so you mm. you've got to even just visually and speaking it like that, like not even have to get into statistics. It just makes sense. You understand yeah. it that yeah. way. Yeah. Cool. I, I think we need to lay that groundwork because people should know um so what keeps beyond meat from growing outside of money are there anything or impossible foods as well like is there anything that can limit their growth the biggest challenge for both is honestly going to be scalability Mm -hmm. so how much can impossible foods continually produce their key ingredients for them that's a little harder because their key ingredient is something that they had to Essentially, figure out the production for themselves and then figure out how to scale that. What is that key ingredient? The key ingredient is this, basically, it's similar to what's in our blood, a protein called hemoglobin. Mm -hmm. Mm. But instead of it coming from animals, it comes from legumes. 
So the official name for it is leg hemoglobin, or as Impossible Foods just calls it sometimes, heme. heme. So that's what gives it that blood, that like blood texture that people... And the so, kind of smell you get, you kind mm, of get from it too. Got mm-hmm. you, got you. And that is something because they were kind of one of the first to extract and produce at some sort of scale, that's the only kind of consideration of like, how do they continue to do this? Because no one else has done it at this at this velocity and scale before. Yeah, so for them, they're still trying to like, you know, really get that up and running. They have one production line open right now at their big manufacturing facility they opened last year. With all of their production lines up and running at like full shifts, they could produce, I think they were saying four million pounds. Wow. Um, at a time do we okay so four million pounds at a time do we ever run into like do we run out of this stuff oh i mean you're looking at the news right now impossible foods actually is already starting to get shortages because of demand so shortages of that core ingredient or shortages of like they just even with the core ingredient they just don't have the infrastructure to produce enough for the demand they can't produce their burgers (laughs) fast enough to keep up with the popular that's wild like restaurants are like thinking like okay, we're going to have to wait until like Mm mid-May now. So all of a sudden there's like two, three weeks where I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do without the impossible burger Mm -hmm. patties, things like that. Or or some some places like us, we order a larger amount just to hold us, just to be safe. And that even creates a shortage, you know, Mm because there's certain places where like, we don't want to have that hiccup so they'll go in the order and that's what creates that bulk load mm-hmm. know, so. Scott, i'm curious do you do you have a preference on patty for your burgers yeah so you know shout out to both because they both kind of open the, the doors for munchies um shout out to beyond for being fully non-gmo and being fully made of plants um it's gluten-free soy-free and so we have guests and munchies diners like a very allergen aware brand i mean we're we're, we're like high-end chef culture diner food but everything behind it our mac and cheese is gluten-free i mean it's organic and because of that we really do like beyond i mean some and so we we carry actually both mm. um and and a bean patty that's being worked on just to have the preference i mean if you want a full veggie patty made from a chef or if you want the beyond because it is you know non-gmo made of soy gluten-free and now the impossible shout out to impossible because they are the it's the brand that actually brings home to my family that aren't vegan mm. um and they've learned how to how to create one, the patty cooks and sears. And I mean, down to, it's like Beyond wanted to create a veggie patty based off their their look and their preference. And Impossible wanted, wanted the non-vegan, the omnivore, to be able to enjoy it with the vegan. And that, for me, that's like, that's huge, you know, so. So is uh, taste alone, which one's better? Okay. Impossible <laughs> or Beyond? Because the way, well, here's the thing. If I had okay. to guess, you would say Impossible based yeah, on how yeah. you described it right Yeah, now. well, so, okay, so... D- Taste alone, it is impossible if you're going like that. Now, if you want to go with digestion sure. and, and yeah. how you feel, beyond. So okay. so there, there's a difference because for me, that's how I, I actually judge both. Like if I'm going to a restaurant and this tastes fucking amazing, but two, three hours later, just how I feel, I'm like, yo, I'm like not feeling like I'm slow, I'm, but I'm supposed to be at a spot that's supposed to maybe feel, make me feel better. And then I eat this other burger where I'm like, it tastes, the taste may not be a little bit, maybe a little off or not as great, but now I'm like jumping around like, yo, let me go do front flips or some shit, you yeah. know? So that's kind of the preference on it. It's like the impossible, literally, it's like, it's meant for that, that, that girthy burger where you're eating, you bite into it, everything resonates with that beef patty that you want, you mm. know? So. What's, it, what's in it, Costa, that's like making it do that? For Scott, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, they're very different ingredients that make up both. Beyond Meat is very much more based in just kind of like we're going to use pure vegetables to make all of our different things. So mm-hmm. their color comes from beet juice. Mm-hmm. You know, their protein is a mixture of pea, rice, potato, different things like that. Impossible Foods, their core ingredient is that legume-based heme. But then they're also doing things like we're going to add konjac. We're going to add coconut oil. So beyond- What's that first one, konjac? Konjac is kind of like a starch so okay helps very, with a little bit of like the thickening and things it, like that it's very very popular in even like year like years in the ancient uh or in asian communities like ancient five thousand six thousand years ago and they've used it all the way through now as like fish substitutes you can like manipulate mm-hmm. it to be shrimp i mean there's so much with that so that's why there's like such a, a cool uh transition in that is because people have used it not even knowing that it was like vegan or meant for it and now implementing it for the causes for it, you know, and it creates that same exact te- mm-hmm. texture. So nice. those differences in formula kind of just come from the history of who's running those companies. Like, mm. you know, Ethan Brown is someone who was a vegan first and really wanted to figure out how do I create like this, you know, burger replica that follows all of these principles that I want to. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, Dr. Patrick Brown uh, from Impossible Foods, who was a biochemist who was trying to figure out what are the different molecules that taste like meat and can I find them in plants and can I recreate using science the perfect plant-based burger? Mm. Dang, what a nerd. Seriously. I, know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean even when you look at their marketing, uh, the, the the differences from them, you're like, yo, they, there's just ones, the, the passions are driven from just two different angles. Mm-hmm. You know, and some people, the ethics, even in veganism, for a long time, now it's kind of like neutralized, but there was a huge suede because some people were really backed the Beyond founder as opposed to the Impossible founder, you know? I could see it. I mean, in the Beyond, the branding is these, like, earth tones, these greens, and then mm-hmm. Impossible is this, like, black Poppy. science, yeah. kind of, like, mysterious. Mm-hmm. It's San Francisco versus L.A. Exactly. Oh, shit. Exactly. Oh, shit. He took, okay. it he took literally took it Is out Impossible <laughs> a San Francisco brand? I get the reference, but are they actually based up? up Stanford. More? Stanford. Damn, nerds. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So let's, let's talk a little fast food, because I'm a fat fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Have you guys tried some of these stuff at, at Carl's Every Jr.? Everything. One. Yeah, you got to. You got yeah, to yeah, check yeah, out the competition. Yeah, yeah, Everything yeah. except the Impossible Whopper. Okay, yeah, yeah, we I, haven't tried I, I haven't tried that either. I haven't no, tried it no, either. No, it's no. not in our area yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and, yeah, but Carl's Jr., yep. Beyond Burger. What do you guys think there? All right, you go first. All right, so honestly, I, I had this discussion, and it's funny because we'll have some of my guests, like, watching. I, I'm super loud when I'm cooking and shit, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, we're talking with my my my, uh, my chefs, and we're like, yo, like, you know, we went to Del Taco, we tried this, or went to Carl's Jr. I'm like, yo, the number one burger that I have tried at a fast food is the Carl's Jr. Beyond Burger, like 100%. Hey, it's nice. Damn. Dude, it's long, nice. Long story short, though, is because... The science behind that is it's their 2.0 burger, which isn't disclosed anywhere else. Like, I can't get it at my spot. Oh, shit. Yeah, so it's a it's a uh, contracting that they're ending now, I think, in April, um, where they're going to be able to get it to us, too. So it's not, it doesn't taste the same. It's not as sweet as, like, the Beyond that I would sell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, being able to get it at $5.50 and and go late night and whatnot, that it, it has a, it, it's really good, honestly. I've tried the Del Taco. Um and for me, it, it scares me because I feel like it's so new. Their practice is so new. I feel like they're putting this fucking same meat in there, honestly. And like, oh yeah, you know, what <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, you, I mean, because even when you look at something, you implement a new, I mean, a new technique, something, especially in food, when their history has been built for based off this for 20, 30 years. Yeah, dude, I mean, it's gonna, it's bound to slip, especially at late night when I'm drunk 
trying to eat del taco at two in the morning. That is scary. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially from us, our our point of view. But right. Yeah, but I that's where I'm at with it. As honestly, the Impossible is great, especially at the fat at Fat Burger. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's like that's what you're looking for. But yeah. I mean, at five dollars and fifty cents, and my friends who complain about vegan, you know, vegan food being extremely expensive. Yeah. There's an answer. That, yeah. that's that's why I, if i have to say go ahead coach go ahead i'm gonna let you know that's like the exact same thing that i i've yeah. always had like a problem with is like the impossible burger is always 12 to 14 dollars where if you go get it mm-hmm. like fat burger you know mm-hmm. places that we see around here like the spot i was talking about originally in crossroads this spot called monty's in la mm-hmm. that oh, like yeah. people are calling oh, I got some the vegan in and out <laughs> that place is like 14 bucks for a burger oh my god now i could go to white castle get an impossible mm-hmm. slider for two bucks yeah accessible huge like that's groundbreaking <laughs> you're about to say they're huge at white castle <laughs> no it's like times huge, 10 <laughs> huge monumentally got you um and then now having that option for beyond meat at both del taco and carl's jr is huge because i can get what honestly could fool me to be a regular burger in beyond 2.0 mm-hmm. at carl's jr especially with how they do the same flame grill process and all that it just has that similar smoky char overall texture and then the beyond meat at del taco there is a difference like a slight difference to the ground beef but Mm -hmm. it was like you were saying earlier it's a 9 out of 10 versus a 10 out of 10 and you know every single time i would go for the nine yeah Yeah, if price is all the same that i'm gonna get the beyond famous star over the regular famous star every time Mm -hmm. every time and again one is a 9 out of 10 and the beyond and one is a 10 out of 10 but that one pers- that one point is not enough for me to to change my mind. I'm yeah. good now. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's going to be a world in fast food. I I love to talk about this right now that I think it, a lot of it could be plant-based. It could almost be to the point where when you hit a certain number of locations in your restaurant, Munchie's got one. Mm-hmm. I hope it becomes like, <laughs> like 50 locations yeah. in California. You won't have to face this problem, but people that grow their company based on a meat once it hits a certain scale do you think we should just like make them go plant-based i have a problem with saying make them go plant-based but here's what i'm thinking Mm -hmm. i'm thinking that it would be better to live in a world where plant-based was just the cheapest option and that's why fat and fast food takes it on because one it's affordable two it's better for the planet than doing all of this processed meat and three, it's good for you. And they're already seeing the sales skyrocket because of it. Mm-hmm. So I would rather just see every single fast food chain switch entirely to plant-based because they're able to, because the scalability is at that point. Yeah. They're able to get slices of fake American cheese mm-hmm. at the same price or even cheaper than they were able to get Kraft American singles or whatever else they use. They're able to get Impossible and Beyond Meat at you know 50 25 cents to the pound yeah and i don't want to come off as a meat basher because that's the last thing i want to do right now yeah but i I think there's a world where meat can be a treat and this is my opinion as a meat eater who indulges a lot in vegan food now but i think meat can become a treat if you know socioeconomic reasons aside i think meat can be a treat where let's say in a perfect world i have the beyond famous star at Carl's Jr. nine out of 10 times. And then on a celebratory occasion, I can have the real motherland meat that it came from. Mm -hmm. But I think that 
becomes a reality when they have to create less of that real meat, right? Like, and I would pay a little bit more at that point because meat should be a little bit more expensive. And this is coming from my lens where I have the luxury to be able to choose that I'm going to pay a little bit more for this thing. And something to add on to that too is that there are all these people saying that by 2030 or by 2050, whatever number they're picking, that producing meat is going to be unsustainable at a factory level. At the point where we're going to be harming the planet to the point where we lose the ability to produce meat at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, people are starting to understand that and change how they produce meat. There are some big producers like Applegate Farms, Epic Provisions, who are changing that, but it's still a long way off. And as you see things like the Costco rotisserie chicken start to skyrocket too in the news. Now you're seeing factory farming even increase. Yeah. And I mean, for me, it's, I, I came into veganism, I call it in like a more modern, modern time. Um, some people like label us, this group that has moved in is like a vegan 2.0. Reason being is that we come heavily from a, a non-vegan background. I mean, I mean, just two years ago, you know, three years ago, I was enjoying meat and that's what I wanted to travel the world for and find foods and what, and whatnot. And it shifted for me, but it because of that background i'm able to understand him exactly what you're trying to say right i'm not i'm not like blinded to like oh my gosh he wants to still eat meat one out of the nine times i mean i actually completely understand that and for me that's that is the goal for now i mean i having someone like eli who i mean anyone from food beast who i respect the tech the tech like their palate is fucking phenomenal i mean look at your guys's page and how you guys built your brand and to come and enjoy literally enjoy it without me like i'm asking you or whatnot and and just and, and and posting it because you you liked it and people like literally on the comments being like that's the awareness that i'm looking for because right now that's allowing veganism to to neutralize for people and it allows you to be aware and be like yo i can have a big griddle that's vegan yeah right one time and and that that alone stops it's just so much. You know, I don't need to get the numbers and go all crazy like that. I yeah. mean, he could back me just off that. And and uh, going from just shifting one meal a month, you know what I mean? Well, I, I get the game. I you think I, mean? I think the and, idea is if I, if I go and perpetuate the stigma of veganism by putting a salad on our feed, not only is it not going to get any engagement, it's also going to push people further away yep. from really good options yeah. like yours or like Seabirds yeah, or whatever. Exactly. So it is a careful craft that we take when we publish something that has something that is vegan or just a new diet or whatever it may be because we res- we try our best to respect those individual cultures within it and so i had no second qualms about posting yeah. the the vegan mcgriddle yeah. uh from munchies diner because i'm like yo our audience is gonna relate to this mm-hmm. like you're gonna mm-hmm. i went there as open-minded as I could knowing it's going to be vegan, but also like it tasted incredible at the other end. And I want to be able to enjoy meat, real meat from animals in the years Mm -hmm. to come. But I have a consciousness about it now that I want it to be good and ethical. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is in these like baby steps right now, Mm -hmm. where if we can support the beyond meats, if we can support the munchies of the world, Mm -hmm that these little steps can provide and and put less tax on our environment and less tax 
on these animals and then in the future we'll be able to enjoy them a little bit more ethically and responsibly mm-hmm. we might pay a little bit more for it but we're all healthier for it so i don't know I that's mean, that's where i'm at i mean shit at the end of the day that's the true stance of sustainability you know i mean some people get that construed with like oh that's sustainability is like not eating animals at all or you know stopping the whole process but if you just look at its true core you know it's it's just understanding that you can eat less meat Mm -hmm. dairy and eggs Mm -hmm. right and and i mean if you can you know at the core of that too i think to add on to what sky is saying is it's not just about eating less animal products especially meat it's about understanding how they're made and how you can choose with Mm -hmm. your wallet to eat things that are made in a way that's better for the planet. One of the big examples that we're seeing right now is something called regenerative agriculture. Talk to me. So regenerative agriculture is when you raise livestock and you farm in a way that actually allows the soil and the land that you're using to be reused time and time again. We call it regenerative agriculture like it's this trendy, hip new thing. But honestly, it was what people were using like 150, yep. 100 years ago before we shifted to factory farms. And factory farms is just a push to make more money. I'm assuming exactly. like that's why we're not exactly. doing the regenerative agriculture that you're talking about. Sounds like if you had to do it at scale, it would get expensive. Absolutely. Time consuming too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, what it is though is people essentially will have a large area of land but they'll only graze a little area at a time. So the cows will only be on like 10% of the land. Then, you know, after like a few days, you move it and you let that land recover. You may bring in some other animals to help drive away pests, clean things up, stuff like that. Um, And you just keep rotating them all around your land until you're ready to, you know, slaughter them, turn them into meat, whatever, things like that. And meat that is raised like that inherently meets all of these different, you know, standards that now factory farming is trying to put on their labels, like things like free range, grass fed, mm-hmm. all of these different essentially BS terms. Grass fed being the big one of the biggest ones too. That sounds silly. Yeah. It sounds mm-hmm. silly. Uh Kosi, we were talking about something pretty interesting earlier. It looks like some people within as an example, the Christian church and this is Lenten season right now. They were discussing meat replicas like Beyond Meat and Impossible Burgers. Yeah. And some of them were like, is it still considered breaking fast if you're like eating these things? And I was like, thought that conversation, you put up a quote too. I can read it if you want. So, Should I do it? Uh, I can intro this a little okay, bit and it. then go into the quote. But essentially, like there's this question of if we're just creating vegan products that taste like meat, why aren't we just eating meat to begin with in the first place if it's going to fulfill all of those same exact things? Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this Christian argument to it because there's this direction of, oh, we're supposed to be fasting at different points in the year. So, you know, when we fast, there are different restrictions like no meat, no dairy products, no fish, things like that. So the quote, so we just pulled these from some some groups online on Facebook, if it helps you guys narrow the uh, the window and the voice, quote unquote, <clears throat> the fat. And this was under a picture of, I think, like uh, Burger Impossible King's Burger, Impossible yeah. Whopper coming out. So, quote unquote, the fact that vegan meat is starting to go mainstream. Red Robin serves it. Now Burger King is set to serve it. Tells me it tastes really good, which makes me curious. And I want to try it myself. But using it to get around fasting rules obviously grossly misses the point of fasting yeah so there's actually like a group within like that community who actually is against vegan meats 
because of that. They call it cheating. Whoa, that's crazy. So I got to ask, the, the the base question is, what is fasting then to this person? And what is fasting, Costa, to you? Like, well, what it, what is that? So everyone kind of has their own Religious definition. fasting, sorry. No. Yeah, for like what religious fasting can be. And obviously it's variable, highly dependent on the person. Sure. But it's essentially restricting yourself from something in order to, you know, help you along your spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. That's the whole entire goal of it. That's why you do it. You know, the whole 40-day period for Lent, that comes from, like, historically back in the Bible, there was a 40-day period when Jesus did that. Mm -hmm. And that was essentially his spiritual trial. So, like, every time you go to reach for some meat, you should be thinking about, like, it's time to think about God right now and become a little bit closer. Is that kind of the idea, just to set the tone? So that's why this person on Facebook is saying, hey— if you're just eating what tastes almost 99% like the real thing, are you really fasting or giving up anything? Or are you on a spiritual journey at all? And I can see where they're coming from because if that's how they feel about this vegan meat when they eat into it, then, you know, essentially to them, eating the vegan meat is the exact same as yeah. eating plain old meat. For someone like me, I view it a little bit differently in that. I know that this is soy. I know that this is vegetable. I know that I'm not going to have the same satisfying aromas, flavors, things like that. Because as close as the industry is getting, it's not there yet. You know in your head that it's not meat. So you're, but you're saying you're, you're pretending that it's whack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but your spiritual, <laughs> you're pretending this Beyond Famous Star is awful compared to the real thing. When really, it's pretty damn close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty damn close, and it's pretty damn tasty, but. At the same time, there's something about actually eating the meat for me personally that is different on a like mental or psychological sure. level. It is there, hundred percent. Fair, fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so this so this person has somewhat of a point. But here's the thing: is I used to fast for Catholicism, and and I would, uh, but I would go straight to fish. Be like, all right, cool, it's fish season for me. Like I, I was cheating already, <laughs> but. But it did, every time it crossed my mind, even though I was satisfied on fish, every time I ate fish, I thought about God. You know, it took, it, it, it did help me there. But I, so I do understand this person's point of if you know how easy it is to get this meat replacement entirely for this person, I get how they're like, I'm almost skipping the whole God part. Yeah, at least with mm-hmm. the intent, to be honest, it's like, are you purposely picking fish because, you know, you can eat substitute fish? Yeah. I mean, that's where it really falls back to, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're picking that as what you're not trying to do, yeah. and that's where you're around, I mean, it's already where that is. I mean, so I get that 100%. No, I agree with that. And for me, it's like I'm eating the vegan meat because I know I need that protein. Mm-hmm. And this is going to give me a substantial exactly. source of that. A lot of these vegan products are convenient. So within my life, it's very easy for me to cook them at home. So for me, I get that. But eating meat is just so different. And I can talk about, we just came out of Lent within the past week, two weeks. This one was really hard for me really? to just like skip through and avoid eating meat while eating a whole bunch of vegan meat replicas. Mm. Dang. Mm. Okay. Just because there is that difference. And meat, there are so many different versions of it. Mm-hmm. Vegan meat only replicates very specific things. It replicates beef. It replicates burger patties. It can replicate, you know, Currently, fried yeah. pieces of chicken, yeah, things like that. 
it's not going to replicate something like an amazing piece of cured prosciutto yet. Word. It's not going to replicate Wagyu beef yet. Skylar, would you would you consider veganism a religion? I, you know, in some essence, I I consider it two things. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I consider religion. I, I to to some radical vegans when I was entering this industry was I, I consider it almost a race. Um, oh, yeah, it sounds crazy because I mean, as much as vegans say, you know, then omnivores are rude or they make fun of us or mm. I mean, dude, the the I've seen just as many regular like vegans be extremely like rude, discriminative almost almost to omnivores, right? And that that to me was like I'm pretty sure you know there's there's supposed to be a huge compassion entity here with with what's going on, and I see people being so negative or you know towards someone either coming into a space or or not even knowing like if we had a conversation you're like what does vegan mean you know and like people are like oh my god like this guy doesn't you know it's just like yo this dude doesn't know what vegan means so maybe if you were compassionate enough and just shared with him like you know your energy and whatnot maybe he might be receptive to what's going on but there's so many people who aren't you know? it's interesting because i asked a religious question because i went 30 day vegan mm-hmm I'll never not talk about it. <laughs> that dude. Uh, but I did it. It's almost a year ago now. It was super fun because it had more fun than I thought I would. But it it reminded me a lot of Lenten season because by day three, I was so hungry. But I was looking at everything in my in my pantry really discernibly. Like I was looking at ingredient labels in a way that I did not look at on any other diet. Yeah, because it's the it's the fundamentally hardest and easiest diet to understand. Yeah. It's basically like, does it come from an animal or not? Yep. Like, we're like everything else, keto, uh, intermittent fasting. Like, there's these rules. We're like, if you're hours, six hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like vegan is like, does it come from an animal or not? Yeah. There are ranges, right? People are like, is a bee an animal? Yeah. Am I going to eat honey? Yeah. Whatever. But does it come from an animal product or not? And I found myself thinking a lot about animals during that month. It was, I didn't watch any of the uh, documentaries that your boy Wally told me to watch. I'm like, bro, listen, man, I'm about this for the diet right now. Yeah, I'm going to be straight sure. up honest yeah. honest with you. But it really made me look at everything. And every time I wanted to eat, I was so much more passionate about what I was eating. Mm-hmm. And I was, I had these like little bits of anger when food wasn't good. Because yeah. I was like, I don't. I don't deserve this. I, I, why, why shouldn't this yeah. be good? Force me to find really dope yeah. new places to yeah. eat. Force me to cook a lot more. I don't yeah. cook a lot. Yeah. I was cooking three, four times a week as opposed to maybe yeah. once a month because I was like, if I don't have, if I don't know where to eat tonight, it's easier for me to eat at home so I'm going to cook. Yeah. Or when I go to Del Taco, I'm now asking, I never thought about sour cream not being vegan. Yeah. I yeah. never thought about asking if the beans are vegan. I like bean yeah. should be vegan yeah. i mean that's how much he started to be honest it's yeah. uh we were driving i mean as when we went f- finally like fully went vegan we're driving to highland park in la three times a week to go eat really good vegan food because i uh, shout out to seabird shout out to free soul shout out to love you know loving hunt shout out to all of them vegan pizza we eat them all every every yeah. week right so the palate of la to vegan food is just it was huge and so like you said when i finally made the commitment it was hard as fuck because i'm like yo I want a pizza right now or I want, you know, but I can't get it. I can't get the same palate or flavor or texture. Um, and I want a burger, but I don't want to go pay $14 right. all the way out, right? You know, and so we started just creating stuff at home. And yeah. that's where 
it was either you go one way or another, honestly, and that's where we were. It's like me and you split the tie. You're like, yo, f- fuck this. I don't want to go. And, I mean, at the 30 days, fine, but I want to go cook four, five, six times a week for myself. Mm-hmm. Me, I fell into the metrics of like, damn, I'm recreating all of this, and I can now share this with people because people are receptive to what I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. right? And I felt like there's a lot of people in that stage where you're like, I'll go fast and go 30 days or, or I'll, I'll do on a diet. And then I don't know what to do next or yeah. I'm over it because there just wasn't enough. I mean, just like you said, the prosciutto, if you go to, you know, the butcher's son and, and, uh, and oh, yeah. you know, out in, in San Fran or you go to Orbevoir or the, the, the Orbevoir, the butcher's Orbevoir in, in Detroit, they make like. I'm not going to drop you off packets. I'm not saying it's exactly like a rib or exactly like a steak, but there's nerds just like impossible who have now taken the time to, you know, create these things. And it's not, like I said, it's not about the shift. It's about having even the mom or the best friend where Kals is like, yo, I want my own rib, but guess what, Sky, come on down. And I got something special for you, you know? I think there's going to be some big, big things in the industry. Like someone funds a Munchies, someone funds a vegan taqueria, the Venganza taqueria, like, that is the wave dude like Mm -hmm. i can't keep going like so i went to monty's burger once love the burger i bought two burgers fries two milkshakes ended up with a 55 or 60 dollar ticket bro i can't afford that i can't do it i can't do it and i think it's because but i but i understand where the cost is on that front so it's not a knock to them as people and entrepreneurs they're doing what they can with what they have right now so they're buying i believe impossible patties at the like retail rate for them they're they only serve vegan food there so i'm sure the whole grill can only serve these things where beyond i can understand how like beyond at carl's jr probably doesn't have the same care as like someone at munchies where everything is vegan like you're probably going to get some cross contamination on shit and so that's what's that's what's wild about the whole thing is that we're so close, I feel, to someone like funding an entirely vegan taqueria and putting it on every corner. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's it, and I, I wanted to kind of dive into this concept. I don't know if we were going to di- dive in, in a sense of, if we could, if, if fuck it, if all, plant, if all fast food went vegan or plant-based, right? Mm-hmm. You know, shout out to them if they did, because realistically, it would bring out the it would bring out the culinary respect that some of these other chefs in the vegan community have been working on because now you're going to go get yourself your vegan Big Mac, Mm. right? Now you're going to go eat a burger from this vegan spot that has been built off the pretense of vegan, has already worked on the quality of the food, has already dialed it down, and there's going to be a difference of gourmet to fast food still. So these brands actually as much as, I mean certain brands, I'm not saying all of them, but the brands that have like a full menu, like a diner um, or a, tacos right that are creating all of these plant-based meats already like they already are ahead of the game like the the their seitan asadas and some of the stuff that people are making their cheeses is like it will take a couple years for the for the fast food industry to, to duplicate but once they do there's still going to be that energy it's like this and i think we're going to get there a lot faster yeah. than people are thinking yeah 100 percent. i think within 10 years we're going to be at a scalability where you could essentially get anything that is made in fast food right now plant-based yeah. because hey all these yeah uh, producer is he is he here i uh, wanted to ask you costa or, or both of you since we're on the subject of fast food um do you do you guys think that maybe burger king is an impossible or might be way way in over their head as at the moment because you said in 10 years we might get there but they're trying to do it by the end of the year they have what i think you said seven thousand restaurants at burger king and they're trying to do impossible whoppers 
by the end of the year are they in over their heads can they actually pull it off or is this like something that that they can actually do i think they can do it i agree i think 100 percent they can do it because impossible foods isn't even running at full capacity right now and they're able to serve five thousand restaurants you double their production capacity by adding a product mm-hmm. one production line in their facility that'll cover all of burger king plus leave room for a little extra so i think impossible teaming up with burger king is an ambitious what i would call ambitious right now is if in this same calendar year in 2019 burger king rolls out the impossible whopper nationwide and then mcdonald's comes out with news saying we're going to do an impossible big mac nationwide then i think it would be too far i don't think they could reach that scale but with burger king who has a smaller footprint than mcdonald's definitely feasible right now mcdonald's within the next five years I see McDonald's actually curating their own patty. I was gonna. I wanted to. That's I wanted to I talk see. about that because when I started seeing Beyond and Impossible rise in importance and being used on these yeah. different menus, I felt some type of way. When I saw Umami put it on their yeah. menu, I was like, "Yo, Umami, you're kind of whack right now." <laughs> Here's why. Here's why Umami was yeah. whack. Umami reinvigorated the craft burger scene yeah. umami burger became this sensation of a craft burger restaurant that we didn't have before it was fast food and then it was umami burger which is craft sit down all the burgers beautiful meat so forth and then here they go putting impossible on their menu happy to have a plant-based option myself and and the fans of it but it was like, what are you doing to your brand, Umami? Mm-hmm. Like, you're known for curating your meats and getting really dope patties. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the impossible patty becomes a bigger brand at your restaurant than your restaurant is of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the fear. And I think I think these brands should be made aware. And I wonder if that's why people like McDonald's, like Taco Bell, haven't just jumped in. They're not dumb. No. I they're not dumb. Oh. They're like, yo, like, cool. Fuck around with Beyond. Let's see how people react to you. Fuck oh. around with Impossible. Let's see how people react. But you know what? We're going to come out with a McDonald's plant-based exactly. patty. That's dope. You don't think they, they got resources yeah. for it. Yeah. They're just waiting. Yeah. Or they're going to go. I mean, that's where I saw for sauce. I see the, I mean, you see, you even look at the market of the people who jumped onto these plant-based foods. It's like the people who. The two brands that aren't, like you said, Taco Bell and McDonald's, they aren't them. They're all in the same group. They all sit on the same on the same table. But the, those two have not yet because I really do believe that when McDonald's does do it and, and they're going to go just find this artisan maker who's been making patties like everyone else has but has maybe a different ingredient or and then they culture it, they grow together, and then boom, McDonald's comes out. You know, and it'll be... This is our plant-based patty. You're not even going to see the word impossible. You're not yeah. going to see the word beyond. And that will create another shift. It's like, oh, shit. And that's what McDonald's is playing. That's, like, that's, that's the move. Plan. I think yeah. that's the move. And My th- counter to that is why would you do that and risk that when fast food has a reputation of already their meat being shit, True. but impossible foods and beyond meat have reputations of being, oh, shit, this is awesome. Why would they risk their reputation? People would see McDonald's comes out with self-crafted vegan burger. A lot of people would be happy, but an equal amount of people would be like, the hell is this? You know, they would be... And because you base too much of your you base too much of your equity in another brand that's not yours. Exactly. Second, secondary, sorry, is to what if you carried both? 
I mean, you know, that's the counters. That's what McDonald's has the, the play, play to do is like, okay, well, here's our burger at a dollar less mm-hmm. that is just as good. And here's the Impossible Burger at the same price of every place see, that you pay for it. In that kind of a scenario, I would be, I feel like people would be more willing to try because they would be like, okay, here's the Impossible. Here's what I know a vegan burger is, like a good one is. Let's now here's the McDonald's version. Let's see how good this one is compared to that. I don't think restaurants at McDonald's scale will give that many options. Like, that's not how people operate. You've seen Subway crippled because of too Uh, many options, right? Like, in and out out proliferates because of the lack of options. And, like, Uh they just know that, like, you make it easy for people and they choose. Like, now they're going to, you're going to introduce two new meat options and they have to try to find the difference. They're not going to do that nationwide, is what I'm saying. I'm saying that's going to be a test for them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they're they're going to test. They're going to test whatever it is. Kosu, you had a great article almost a year ago when you did a deep dive into as brands like White Castle put Impossible or Beyond Meat on their menu. So White Castle put that. And then the shops, their their test locations that did it, they held a lot of the weight and a lot of the growth within those companies. The Impossible Patties, at the Impossible Burgers at places like Umami, they were top sellers. Mm-hmm. So that's the scary part about it for these brands is that people are coming into your place because of a branded patty that's not yours. I don't think McDonald's puts their entire weight of their business behind a patty that's not theirs. Yeah. And, it's, and it's also scary. I mean, it's it's cool right now for that to happen. Word. Um, mm-hmm. We've had it. I mean, we had people come in and be like, yo, like, I... I only can get the impossible from you guys right yeah. now, right? And I, at some owners and some people, will be like, "Damn, that's so awesome." Me, I see, I see detriment down the down the line from that, mm-hmm. and so that's why it's so important to culture like beet burgers and and bean burgers when it comes to this point where everything is now in the grocery store because impossible is still exclusive, right? Uh, you know, and that's why I feel like there's a still a speciality to it. Like, let me go to Fat Burger and get it, as opposed to like. You know, I can still get at my, I can have the idea of getting it at a grocery store and maybe cut the price five to six dollars. Right. And that alone is going to cut from it. So how do you shift? And I'm not talking about fast food. I'm really going into the vegan food world is the people who depend on these mock meats. Um, where What happens when that goes there? You know, and, and, and for me, that's where it's like the speciality of culturing these these substitutes it has to be like housemate that's why i came from the mcdonald's thing is that yeah. when you do depend on such a brand um and that brand becomes not maybe watered down in essence but just available yeah then the demand is dropped i know? think you're hitting it on the yeah. head though yeah. and that's that's the point i was trying to make in is i don't think it's a bad business move now yeah. for, if mcdonald's put impossible on their meat like i think it would do extremely sure. well right now but a brand with that's so legacy as mcdonald's looks five, 10 years down the line, not just down the barrel of gun right mm. this moment. So that's exactly what you're doing yeah. with munchies. You're just aware of it. Yeah. Like you guys make your own sauces. Yeah. Yeah. You you dabble with your own cheeses. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you so it's not- Make your own chickens and everything. You know, yeah. but you do, I, you do have like really good vegan brand cheese that you could just, that you exactly. use at your restaurant. So like, you know what the game is right now <laughs> and you see where it's going in the yeah. future. You make your own hot pockets. Like these are real tangible good things yeah. to do. And I think you're right now seeing like the companies who are at that mass scalable level really starting to kind of do both. Like what Sky was saying, the example I'm going to bring in is Disneyland. Yeah. Oh, Tom, Tom, Disneyland has their vegan meatball sub that they did for mm. the recent food and wine festival delicious made with delicious. impossible meat mm-hmm. yeah it was amazing so they do use impossible meat in a few different things around there however they also created their own vegan version of chicken mm-hmm. mm. 
And they called it this thing, like their first iteration of it, they called it oomph or something like that. Was it like good? I, don't, I didn't try that. I don't it think. was honestly one of my favorite items at Food and Wine last year. Okay. When they did the pita with it, with kind of like the avocado and stuff like that. Mm. That thing was really tasty. The texture was pretty solid. And they put it in a few different items. Since then, they had it in an item for Chinese New Year. Dang. Things like that. Okay. So they're experimenting with that, and that can be something that they eventually can spread to all of their resorts, all of their parks, things like that. But having it at this level where they could put it at Disneyland, which is already known for having this vibrant, innovative food, see how people like it, and then try to spread it everywhere else. Skylar, how, how up on game are you about lab-grown meat? So I... I mean, when it comes into the metrics of it, I kind of, I don't want to, I never dove into it because mm-hmm. there's this huge conflict that, that kind of falls in uh, for me. And so I've been asked like multiple times to like dive into this, to this conversation. And for me, I, I felt like that's just where I, I don't stand in, in for, you know, yeah, like you I, don't, I, don't, I don't partake um, mm-hmm. because I've learned that I'm good at what I do and mm-hmm. I understand kind of my realms and I'm not, I'm not the type of person to kind of like enter into something that. Sure. It, you know, I'm not well learned on, especially when I don't want to, you know, one, disrespect anyone that's in the vegan community mm-hmm. um, based off like my, my values or my, my, my sure. points, even though I'm probably on their side. It's just how I may come off of my projections, you know. Sure. And I'm uh, grown meat is meat. Yeah. Let's be real. I agree. It's meat. I know that it's not anything being killed yeah. for it, but it's meat. You're yeah. eating a part of an animal. Yeah. Right, right, right. But what I'm asking is. Can you think of the periphery of all of it, right? It is meat, right? So, and if for those that aren't completely up to speed on what we're talking about, we're in the, we're really close to literally re, just recreating meat from animals that don't necessarily require the butchering of animals. You can create the parts of the meat, and this is actual meat. This isn't plant-based mm-hmm. meat. So you're using Costa probably knows the technical nerdy shit, but. Go yeah, ahead. I do. But, <laughs> but, no, it's it's hard to explain. Okay, so we, even without explaining that, the idea of the periphery of uh, do we get better on the environment, or does that take up just as much stuff on the environment? If you're not like, if animals don't have to graze and be raised and be transported like that, they can just be created in labs. Can I? I'm just gonna say one thing. Go for it. It's not vegan, and it is not plant based. So I don't want anyone thinking when I off my first statement, and I do want everything to be heard. Is that yeah? That where you're coming from, still my standpoint is the the neutral understanding of the change that the world is trying to get into, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're 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 still eating an animal. You're still using sure. parts of an animal. Now the shift is you, like you said, you aren't harming in essence as many animals or more from it, right? right. And I'll let you kind of get into it, Costa, um, but it is not vegan. Yeah, and okay. I, and again, I, I want to differentiate. Yeah, I, I'm not having a vegan conversation. No, no, about no, no, this no, 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 no. Yeah, exactly, sure exactly. Yeah. That's why I wanted to. Stay yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll clear the yeah, air there. Yeah, this yeah. is not a vegan conversation. Yeah. This is a. I'm more having exactly. an environmental and economic conversation. Yeah. Um, this becomes a religious conversation if for some people. But but anyways, like we're creating meat from. A, I think the source of it is it's still one animal. You need like trace origins of an animal to do it. But you basically. You hurt one sheep and then you never have to hurt them again if the theory gets fully explained. Essentially, you have to take a little piece of an animal, whether mm-hmm. it be, you know, an actual like piece of animal tissue, animal meat, mm-hmm. or, you know, there's someone out in San Francisco just that says they can, you know, essentially make it from like the little bits of animal cells that they get off like the end of a feather. Yeah. 
So they're saying that you can essentially create that and culture it to the point where you can create full-grown pieces of meat. It's still way, way too early to make any determination of how effective this could be, how great this could be. The environmental claims are there. People are saying we can cut by 90, 95% on water. We could cut on land. We could cut on emissions and things like that. Could it potentially save more than a plant-based diet? I don't think so, just because... For protein. For protein, I could definitely save more than meat, but I would need to understand more of just how you would produce it at scale. Yeah. I mean, it's really cynical right now. I understand. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, yeah. I'm like, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, damn, growing plants, I throw a seed outside, you know, and like somebody yeah. comes out and mm-hmm. you can kind of yeah. eat it. Um, and also prices us out, like us as just average yeah. dudes. Like we can't be creative. We can be creative in plant-based diets yeah. and plant-based meats. We can't be creative. Like we don't have a laboratory. <laughs> yeah, we're not going shit. to like a hopper mm-hmm. lab and, you know, that, yeah. So. <laughs> so we're already priced out of that whole experimentation yeah. of it. So we have but, to wait till richer folks than us, smarter folks yeah. than us create this. But let's imagine that world exists. Then like that's the conversation I was kind of bringing up. Yeah. But the entire thing is we don't even know if that world is going to exist. I think until we're for sure 100% certain that lab-grown meat can be a thing in the future. We need to like be very aware of how we have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Right now, the USDA and the FDA are essentially fighting with each other to figure out how are we going to regulate this lab-grown meat. Is this something that we define as meat? Do we have to like have these other definitions? There's all this stuff they're trying to figure out. So right now in the United States, you cannot sell lab-grown meat. Mm-hmm. There was like five, six companies in the United States producing it. But right now, they all have to market to countries outside who are willing to take lab-grown meat. And there was one company, again, Just, they were saying that by the beginning of 2019, they were going to have lab-grown chicken nuggets being sold in a restaurant. We're now in May, and one hasn't been sold yet. Yeah. And, and just so people know where I'm coming from, like, I don't think it's very creative to recreate an animal. Like... <laughs> I th- like, but it's a topic to be discussed. But it's a topic there. Yeah. But also, like, I think there's a lot of creativity happening in the vegan space that, like, chefs that are meat eaters, omnivores are, yeah. are like really going after it. Like, I'm looking at Jason Quinn's playground menu, and the last time Jason Quinn owns a really great restaurant Phenomenal here chef. in downtown Santa Ana, and. You know, a lot of the dishes he's extremely proud of are his vegetable-based dishes, and that's what's mm. so crazy about it is he's finding more enjoyment. I feel from how he can kind of flip yeah. veggie dishes. And to, I've been to both. You yeah, you've been I've, to playground I've, and I've, his. Uh, no, I've been to both set. I've been oh. to both dining settings before. Mm. So I've been to his when I was not vegan. I've been to his steak night, and I've been to a veg night and since. Since and so it was mind blowing. I mean, that's why I. I love the creativity on his backing is that's kind of where I'm trying to come into. I mean, obviously I'm fully vegan, but his understanding of like the palates that he's creating, it's like a vegan can come here and enjoy the hell out of it, even though his chef is not vegan, but he's, there's this concept of him being aware of it and him providing the service. And now vegans can come out and enjoy this setting because you wouldn't get that from someone who isn't because he is not fully vegan. Right. Mm. And so I feel like that's, that's and special. just to you know, add more to that, there are so many more ingredients you have when you think about vegan ingredients than when you think about animal ingredients. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, there are probably less than 20 animals around the world that are produced specifically so that we can eat their meat mm-hmm. that have very much limits you on what you can pair it with, flavors, things like that. 
in terms of vegetable, fruit, you know, produce-based ingredients, there's probably a thousand because there's so much out there, different varieties of squash, mm-hmm. different varieties of tomato, you know, different kinds of beans, different kinds of, you know, all these different vegetables, broccolis, cauliflowers, you know, the hybrids of them that we're seeing. To, to make a, to make like a vegan steak or some of the sodas, it's like 42 ingredients just to make it, you know? So wow. you're, you're thinking of like the flavor textures and like everything that's going into it to, to really duplicate. And that's all plants, you know? Um, so from that end, I feel like there's a, there's a huge creative, you know, creativity to it, but um you say you make a vegan steak and munchies yeah, yeah i never i never had that yeah so we we haven't dropped because the diner stuff it's like we're pop we're popping up right now right yeah. so to serve a steak and get it out with like a steak and eggs and make it look you're gonna like eat it standing up it's you're tough. Stand up, like dude you want a fork you know yeah. but now that's what we have is like we create the the diner culture which is obviously slightly here from from the west coast but it's all from the east coast right mm-hmm. and so i've duplicated a lot of the the east coast diners from jersey the originate so um, you're going to get your like, you know, your biscuits and gravies and you're going to get your steak and eggs yeah. and you're going to have your big griddles because I smashed big griddles when I was, <laughs> you know, my whole life at, yeah. at McDonald's. And you're going to have that. Now you're going to have your hot pockets. Right. Mm. So we have breakfast pockets. Um, we call them munch pockets. So we just say hot pockets. So that's a disclaimer, guys. But munch <laughs> pockets are the trademark name of them, by the way. Um, you know, pizza, breakfast, cheesesteak, Italian. I mean, we have them all. So you literally put I mean. You can ask Reach right over. Um, you know, we made you got we made you guys for them and, or made some for you guys. It takes like 10, 12 minutes. And, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even think the difference, you know, and that's that's the whole goal. <laughs> and got any questions? You good? With, I'm good? Cool. With the food industry, one of the biggest things to remember is if someone asks for it, the food industry can make it. Yeah. It may take some time, but they can create anything physically possible. Mm-hmm. They have the network to find the produce, they have to find the meat, to find the ingredient that they need to make it happen. They have the scientists who work day in and day out specifically to create new things, play with new textures, play with new flavors to make all these different things. So you ask them to make anything, whether it be a vegan thing, a lab-grown thing, a meat thing, or even just like, you know, some kind of like replacement to something else. They're going to make it happen. Yeah. And if, even if you, uh, I mean, as as a chef, you play around so much. So, dude, I found the... I don't want to give up. I'm going to give up some of my beans. So I'll shout out to everyone who takes it. But, you know, it's there's a there's a, a pork belly substitute, which is just based off the bottom belly of a of a king oyster mushroom. So literally, like I could sear. So we make orange chicken. Our second concept is called My Vegan Panda. Um, it's just like orange chicken, orange chicken burritos and uh, ramen burgers. Um, oh, God, I can't wait. And we use we use the back end. So this king oyster mushroom is like literally almost a foot long. Mm-hmm. And at the very tip of it, it's brown. And it's like, if you can like bite on it, you can literally bite the whole thing. And right when you get to the very end of it, your tooth will just sink. It's like this button. It's very soft. So you get that and you cut all of them off. And you, it's like, you're literally wasting. I mean, you make the rest of it into chicken, but you waste, you have to use the smallest piece of it. So it's like, just like me, like you're cutting the smallest bit of yeah. this fat, right? And then you fry it. And when you bite into it, it's literally like, dude, this is fucking pork belly. You get what I'm saying? So even down to just that whole food ingredient, not even making so much to duplicate it, there's just time with, I mean, down to a T, it takes time. But when you can find that and then you add the seasonings and you fry it, it's like, dude, you know what I mean? And so that, that, that's where it yeah, falls That into. sounds incredible. Yeah. My yeah. Vegan Panda? Yeah, My Vegan Panda, yeah. dude. That's yeah. a great name, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. That's tight. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm all for a future of food where almost everything moves to plant-based 
the less that we can rely on meat to feed the entire planet, I think the better. I think meat is inherently a huge part of a lot of many cultures, so we'll never get to a point where we're 100% plant-based. And meat is also just really tasty. Yeah. So, good, man. Yeah. yeah. But I think the more and more that we can incorporate plant-based into our lives, the better it will be for overall health as human beings and for the overall health of the planet. And if, you know, and this is me being vegan. Um, if you... If meat wasn't tasty, our vegan community wouldn't be trying to duplicate the same type of food, mm. right? So we have to understand that the textures and the flavors are there, but it's about the, the, the energy and everything that's done behind it. You know, it's the transfer of that. And uh, to back in on, on the uh, ability to have more plant-based options, you know, it's just like, I, it's, meat is great. So I don't like, uh, for, for, for the meat eaters, meat is great, but I don't like to put it into the cigarette form, but you got to think about cigarettes. Um, you know, how many, how less of people in today's world smoke cigarettes, right? It's like, dude, 50 years ago, I mean, that was like everything. I mean, obviously in Europe, it's different, but I mean, in America, the culture has shifted, right? You have less people smoking cigarettes, even though it's still prominent. It's cool. I mean, there's nothing there. It's like my, my, one of my best friends does, but it's like, now you don't realize that five of my best friends do, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So in that sense, it's like the meat eating the consumption by nature, just because there's the awareness and everything growing out, I feel like will dissolve but it, i mean it, it let's be real it'll never it's never going to dis- like delete and it shouldn't but it's like there will be more of an awareness going on and i feel like that's what we'll kind of like i used to think of cigarettes in that same sense when i went vegan for those 30 days i was like damn like could i live without this blah 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 i think there there's still cultural stigmas yeah. that are way different yeah. well, than that's correlating like cigarettes yeah, yeah, than, yeah, yeah. and yeah, i know yeah, you mentioned yeah. like that's why i don't put yeah, it in exactly. the cigarette bucket yeah i think it has some correlations yeah. but again cigarettes are a man-made thing yeah. that you know we we smoke tobacco yeah. from it, but like the idea of cigarettes at mass population and all it's, that was never a part. It was it was always an indulgence, even from the day one. Like it got people high when we were horseback or whatever yeah. the fuck. Like that that early days of smoking there, that was where it came from. But you know, meat has been over an open spit for for years and years and years. So like. They're 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 still vastly different in that capacity, but, but on some ends it's it's but and like I said I don't like to especially in that sense, but it's more of the uh, it's more of like the awareness like it it's not the man made thing that I'm speaking about like and you know we eat meat forever whatever it's it's literally just the knowledge of the sustain the sustainability sure. right and that's what I'm trying to get into is Word. that if you were more aware just like you were aware of c- cigarettes you know let's be honest. That's why there is a huge decrease. Yeah. So if you're more aware of the what's happening on the back in the carbon footprint, why sustainability is not growing at the point it should be, then it makes you more aware to not do so or partake. You know what I mean? And that's where I was at with it. Now, like I agree now, with like, that. Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. I think just the spreading of knowledge and not like yeah. putting it behind a curtain is yeah. is uber important. So if we know more, we eat less. Like I'm a flexitarian yeah. at yeah, this exactly. point and because I just know more. Yeah. That's it. Like, I didn't know any of this shit as a kid. I was just like, here's the food in front of me. Here's what I eat. My culture, my Lebanese culture, like, it was already kind of like a vegetarian that had this Mediterranean diet that didn't tax the environment in this way. But then, like, I grew up here. I grew up in Orange County. I grew up, (laughs) like, eating burgers. I loved it. Tacos, everything. So, you know, the more you know, the the better things get hopefully and so i think that's kind of where we're at and that's that's why conversations like this are so cool and important is like 
cool where where do we meet how do we progress yeah. how do things continue to taste good that's like the ethos of this podcast is yeah. like at the end of the day like we're not gonna push some shit on you that don't taste good yeah exactly so, why yeah, i'm here kinda, you know yeah. i love you guys for one that. last thing i would want to like touch on or bring up as a question is how can we make plants plant-based food stuff like that more accessible to more people if you think about it today meat is probably at the cheapest it's ever been at its point in history you look back three four hundred years ago meat was very much a luxury item now it's a huge everyday item some meats are actually less expensive than produce than specialty produce items i don't want to say i want the price of meat to go up but i want the price of produce to go down Mm -hmm. to a point where we can all afford it at that level and i think one of the answers to that and I don't know if this is like a complete answer that could solve all those things, but would be subsidies. So subsidies Who are... Who we subsidize? Yeah. So right now in the United States, we subsidize different farmers for different crops. Mm. A lot of those subsidies are going to things that are essentially cash crops, go into a wide variety of different processed foods, things like that, or to create different things like oils, fuels, stuff like that. So over from 1995 to 2016, the top four crops that were subsidized in the United States were corn, wheat, cotton, and soy. Mm. And to give you like an idea of the disparity in numbers, corn was subsidized over that 20-year period for 105 or $106 billion. The next biggest one, wheat, $43 billion. Jeez, it's crazy. Now to think about specialty produce in that. Like, where's lettuce on? Lettuce isn't even in the top twenty. Damn. All right. So, so <laughs> how, how do we speak there? What do you What do you think? What are your last thoughts? What are your last thoughts on this? I'm how thinking do- that for us to like move towards this future, it's going to take an effort from the chefs, like Sky. It's going to take an effort from the food industry as well to keep making more and more vegan foods, more and more plant based products, things like that. But it's also going to take an effort on a policy and a governmental level Mm. where we can take that money and those subsidies and move it into specialty produce items. Whether it be your crispy water lettuce or apples or fire, (laughs) even just things like kale, spinach, eggplant, (laughs) things like that. So we can get those down to more accessible price points. Yo, eggplant's right. just big-ass lettuce, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, honestly, to back in on that, you're talking to someone who has to order this shit every week, right? Mm-hmm. I'm ordering produce. or I, Everything that we serve there is organic. So um, the the onions, I mean, the white onions this week, $79 for a case. When Dang. regular organic, non-organic onions are like $19 Damn. So you got to think about like oh. how, how much, I mean, you, I mean, I know you would know that just crunching those numbers, like we don't, I'm not implementing that higher, but that's why our, like some of the prices stay the same on certain, on certain people because it hasn't dropped. But dude, if that can drop, like, like you said, all produce drops, I mean, even the, to make the impossible and to make the, the, uh, the beyond would drop. I mean, because it's, they're using plants. I mean, they're using, so from on that end, it's, uh. It, it makes perfect sense. I mean, switching that to allow all the produce to, to shift would make more accessibility for people to eat vegan food. I think we just got to keep talking about it. Yeah. I think the more we talk yeah. about it, the more we show off the cool shit yeah. that is yeah. plant-based. 
And we give it the same lens yeah. as we give our other foobies yeah. things. So foobies that are listening, you could be a vegan foobies, you could be a meat-eating foobies, you could be a keto foobies. That's that's the ethos. That's, so. why, that's why I love y'all, you know? And that, that gives me, you know, I'm... I'm growing, pun intended, into this realm in this industry, and I'm very, I'm looking at who I, how, who my brand connects to and supports, and dude, like we st- we stay by you guys, and because of I'm able to really see the uh, the unbiased realm that you guys pull from, and that's the culture that we need right now, you know, and, and that's why I'm here. Shit, so it's awesome. Thank you guys. We try. Well, thank yeah. you both for coming, Costa. Appreciate your nerdiness, Sky. Continued mm-hmm. success to you, yeah. man. Thank you. If you guys are around Orange County. Try Munchies Diner. It's opening up soon. Yeah. Hopefully by uh, the mid- end of this month. Yeah, middle middle to end of May. Um, okay. Be open till two a.m. on the weekends. Breakfast <laughs> served all day. Love it. Yeah. Shout out to uh to you know Chloe, Leo, Wally, um, G, Sam, Braden, and Dom who helped build this whole thing and why I'm even here. So very cool squad. Yeah. Met them at the last pop up. Amazing. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you agree, if you disagree about any of this, tweet at us, at Foobies. Hit us up on Instagram, at Foobies. Skylar, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at Skylar Tanksley or at Munchies Diner. Or mm. if you want some Asian fusion, at My Vegan Panda. That's what's up. Costa, where can they find you? Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Constantine underscore spy. And you can hit me up on Instagram at Out Here Flourishing. Dang, that is what's up, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to shout out. Thank you for leaving reviews on the iTunes store. And uh, let me just read one real quick. Oh, thank you to at No Leftover Eats. Uh, for the latest review on the iTunes store. Guys, we're a five out of five on there, yo. That's fire. Try Let's us. Go. Try <laughs> us. Give us a one star. No, I'm just kidding. Give us a five star. Appreciate it. And I'll, I'll read next week's uh, review next week. So, bye, guys. Bye. Peace. Peace. <laughs>